0: Let's pray now as we prepare for the blessing of hearing God's Word. Father, you have drawn each and every one of us here. And we pray now that you work in each and every one of us. Help us to hear your Word clearly. And Lord, help us through your Spirit to apply it to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're preaching through Isaiah 40 to 55 this summer. Uh, Last week, we began with a reminder of God's great cosmic, incredible power and His enduring care for us, His people. This week, we continue with a picture of the Lord's gentle justice. We do have a reading plan. There are bookmarks out on the sign-up counter there if you want to follow along. We have a reading plan, reading two chapters or so every week, and we'll preach a subset of those chapters every Sunday morning. If you were following that reading plan, you probably read chapter 41 this week. And in the second half of chapter 41 especially, the Lord, well, He takes other gods to the courts. He demands that these idols, that these other gods, prove that they are gods, and and if they can't do it, he demands that those who are following other gods prove that they are gods, and, and they can't. And then we come to Isaiah 42, and the Lord shows us what it is to be the true Lord and how he intends to rule over his people and care for his people. So let's read now Isaiah 42 from verse 1 to verse 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In His law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is, I don't know, a couple dozen superhero movies now, and I'm not going to go through all of the plots there. we would be here all day. But there is a particularly powerful supervillain called Thanos. And Thanos is larger than life-size. He's a giant, and he has incredible powers. And he, at some point in the past, decided decided that the universe is overpopulated. There are too many people too much life, and they are using up the resources of the universe too quickly, and things are out of balance, and they have to be brought back into good order. And so Thanos develops this very clear mission for himself that he will find a way, he will find a way to kill half the living beings in the whole universe. And as these movies develop, and, and I'm summarizing several movies here, as these movies develop, Thanos finally gains, through the use of what, what the series calls Infinity Stones, he finally gains this incredible, godlike, almost almost omnipotent ability. And there is a moment in the movies where he snaps his finger and half the living beings in the universe disappear. They simply fade in to nothing. Thanos has his order. He has restored the universe to how he thinks it ought to be. With, with one snap of a finger, he has dispensed justice. Now, if we were among the original audience of Isaiah 42, we probably could think of a number of empires of our time who acted a lot like Thanos king after king, emperor after emperor, emperor after emperor, they rose and they were going to bring their order to the world. Things were going to be done their way. There would be justice. And what justice meant was power and destruction. And no matter what it took, they would get their way. And this was how kings functioned, this was how emperors functioned, this was how the the gods of the ancient Near East often functioned. I will get my way via power, via conquest, via oppression, via destruction. And now along comes the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks on behalf of the Lord. and, And in this text, the Lord, well, he promises justice but what does it look like? What does it look like? The Lord provides justice. And we're going to, I'm going to have three sermon points. They're all going to actually be the same. We're just going to emphasize a different section of this phrase for each of the points as we follow the text. The text tells us the Lord provides justice. In this text, it's called one of the servant songs. The Lord promises to send his servant, this servant of the Lord, to fulfill the Lord's mission in the world. And this servant will come to bring justice to the nations. And as is often the case with translation, the the Old Testament concept of justice is a much broader and much deeper concept than our English word justice tells us. Justice in the ancient world is very concerned with order. And in much of the ancient world, the key key two things are, are order and justice, or I'm sorry, order and chaos. Do we have order or do we have chaos? And we do not want chaos, we want order. And this is not order in the sense of law and order. It's more order in the sense of everything being arranged to perfection of all of life and all people and every little piece fitting together perfectly in good order. The justice that the Lord promises His servant will bring here is, is a huge concept, and it's multi-layered. One layer is that this servant will bring, will bring the right order between the divine and human. The servant will make things right Spiritually. And what's more, this servant will make things right economically and politically. He will, he will bring an end to oppression. People will be able to live in a truly right way. And this servant will restore emotional and physical order also, that, that the chaos of, of sickness and, and turmoil, that will all go away. This servant will bring truth this servant will bring faithfulness. This servant will bring comfort. And so when Isaiah 42 talks about justice and gives us this picture, it is is this this deep and rich and comforting picture. And if you think about most of our contemporary versions of justice and, and most ways that justice has been practiced throughout history, this justice that the Lord promises... Well, it's more than, I think, anything else on offer. On the more contemporary end of our political spectrum these days, people are big on law and order, that there must be legality and things must be done the right way. And that's a good thing, but it can lead toward toward reducing justice to just being a legal concept. And on the more liberal or progressive end of our political spectrum, people, people talk about justice almost as self-determination, that everybody should be free to do what they like. And there's some good things there, but that quickly slides into chaos and free-for-all, and, and it doesn't give us any ground to stand on. But the Bible shows us the servant of the Lord who brings both order and flourishing, who makes things whole. And who does this not like Thanos or like the orders of the ancient world with, with, well, with naked power, with destruction, with anger and vengefulness. That, that is part of the picture of how the Lord works. But here in Isaiah 42, the part of the picture that comes to the front is that this servant of the Lord will bring justice gently. He's not going to bluster or yell. He's not going to throw up his hands in frustration and say, forget this. He's not going to threaten. He is simply going to work to bring things right. And there are a couple famous images in this passage that this servant won't even break a bruised reed and he won't put out a smoldering wick. And both of those were useless, pointless things. We don't use them every day, so that doesn't have a lot of power for us. But But if we were the original audience hearing this, we would picture a reed as something that you might make into kind of a walking stick, a staff, or that you might carve up in a certain way and make a musical instrument out of. But if that reed was bruised, if it was weakened, it was useless. You couldn't lean on it, you couldn't make music with it, it was garbage. And a smoldering wick was a wick that had mostly been used up and burned up. And it was, it was just sort of a little bit of flame, but it was going to go out soon. And, and what you needed to do was put a new wick in the lamp and throw that old one away. That old wick was garbage. And what Isaiah 42 was telling us, that when the servant of the Lord, and this is Jesus, by the way, just to give away the ending, when, when the servant of the Lord comes... He's not going to see any human being as garbage. Even those who we might think are worthless, even those who, by earthly standards, have nothing left to give and no possible value, even them, this servant will not squash, will not discard, will not throw away. And in the ancient Near East, that was entirely unexpected. The empires came to destroy. They would bring order, yes, but at what cost? And this servant promises to come and, and to bring an order that is not brutal. To bring a justice that truly applies to all people. And that, that gives us hope for today, too. So often the world around us seems hopeless. Hopeless. So often it seems like the order that people bring is an order of of an iron fist and just just merciless destruction and forced conformity. And too often when when we talk more about the flourishing end of things, it seems like we slide down into chaos and everybody does their own thing. And that, that leads in the end to conflict too. If you look at our world today, there is there is so much reason to be hopeless. We want things to be right. We want the world to be well. But there is, well, based on history, there is no real hope of enduring peace or justice. There is not. But Isaiah 42 tells us that the Lord will provide justice. There is such a thing. And 42, 1 to 4, set that stage. And, and then 42, 5 to 7, really, really bring it home that the Lord will provide justice. And, and there are a number of words I could have used here, the Lord will give, the Lord will bring. But the point is that the Lord is the one who enacts justice. And people debate, and I think there is a good debate with these particular verses, whether, whether the Lord is commissioning Jesus as his servant to do all this whether the Lord is speaking to all of us as his servants and saying, it is your job to do this thing, to bring a covenant to the people, to bring a light to the nations, to free prisoners from the dungeon. And I think actually both of those meanings are here. We could talk about, we could talk about how the Lord commissions us to bring justice, but I think that's a second step. And the first step in these verses is to see how Jesus is unique, to see how it is the Lord himself Who does this work? Here in Isaiah 42, the Lord promises that his special representative will come to be a covenant to the people. His special representative will connect us to the Lord in an enduring way. He will give light to the peoples of the world, even to those who live in darkness. And he will bring prisoners out from the dungeon. And especially when we hear that language of prisons and dungeons. You know, we probably picture what we have these days, but... But actually, prisons and dungeons were relatively rare in the ancient world. Most of the time, if you committed a crime, you either got punished right away or you had to pay back. So if you broke someone's arm, they would break both your legs, and now your sentence has been completed. And if you stole someone's cow, you'd have to give back two cows, and and now justice is done there. Most of the time, if you got thrown into prison, it it was for defying the powers, it was for standing up against an empire or for, or for slighting the king. And so when Isaiah gives us this picture of bringing prisoners out from the dungeon, what probably would have resonated most for the people of the time was, was political crimes, was prisoners who, because they had offended the wrong power, were cast into the darkness. And this has, this has special meaning here at this point in Isaiah, because the Lord has told his people, because you have disobeyed, Because you have been unjust, because you have been unfaithful, you are going to be cast away into exile. The empire is going to come and take you away, and you will be slaves and prisoners. That's what's coming up for the people. But now the Lord promises that his servant will come and deliver his people even from exile even from the darkest fate that a nation of that time could ever anticipate. And yet the servant of the Lord will come and deliver them from darkness. Now you might ask, and it's a little hard sometimes to picture what that would look like, and and what it looks like is Jesus. And there is a text in Matthew 12, I'd suggest you take a look at it later today. But Matthew 12 quotes these verses from Isaiah. Isaiah. Quotes Isaiah 42, and then what what does it show us that Jesus does? Well, Jesus comes to a man who, who is broken physically, and Jesus frees him. Jesus sets him free from the power of illness. And then Jesus comes to people who are possessed by demons, who are under the thumb of evil powers, who are set on destroying them, and Jesus casts out those demons. And then there are some political and spiritual authorities who who mutter in their beards and and get in Jesus' face about how what he's doing is not right because he's not doing it their way and he's not upholding their power. And Jesus blasts those those authorities too. Jesus comes and he undoes the, the affliction of physical sickness. And he breaks the power of the kingdom of evil. And he takes on even political and spiritual authorities and he undoes their power in the power of the Lord. This is what it looks like when the servant of the Lord comes. Healing, deliverance, restoration, rightness. You know, I had finished up the sermon for this week and, and then just as I was finishing it up, I, I heard a wonderful example of God making things right. The Supreme Court this week overturned Roe v. Wade and, and the status of abortion in this country has changed. Now, there are all kinds of implications for that, all kinds of things for us to commit ourselves to, all kinds of uncertainty, but, but this is a significant step, one I did not think I would see in my lifetime. Abortion is a fundamental assault on, on the rights of the vulnerable. And so to see that undone today is amazing. And one of the articles I read this week commented on on how, yes, there were political strategies and, and, yes, there was grassroots action and, yes, there were all of these strategies and all of this human action, but really, really, what was this? This was God working. This was God providing justice for the vulnerable. Now, often in life, what we see is more oppression and trouble, but the Lord does work. There are remarkable ways that the Lord pulls things together to provide for those who are in need, to provide for those who are oppressed, to provide for those who are persecuted. We sometimes see God's hand at work, and sometimes His hand works through us, and and we could spend this entire sermon kind of talking about that, that second step there, that the work of the servant of the Lord overflows into the work of the servants of the Lord. But, but we're not going to go there this morning. There, there is lots of work for us to do in seeking justice in all kinds of ways. But today, let's focus on this, that the Lord does provide justice. Justice. And he promises that someday he will undo all the political powers of this world and all their schemes. And he will break the power of of disease and sickness. And he will once and for all cast out all spiritual powers that oppose him. We see a taste of it this week. In eternity we will forever eat and drink of the reality that the Lord makes all things right. Right. One last point for today. The Lord, the Lord provides justice. Verses 8 and 9 read a little bit funny that the Lord talks about how his servant is going to come and will be be one who brings gentle justice. Then he lays out all kinds of ways that will happen. And then it seems like God almost gets a little grumpy. And he's like, but I'm the Lord. And where is that coming from? And I think where that's coming from is is the reality that the Lord is affirming that what He has planned will be. The Lord's plan will come to pass. And when He promises justice, we can be sure that justice will come. But then there is another angle to that. And that the Lord's justice is the Lord's justice. It is not your justice. It is not my justice. It is not their justice. It is not our justice. It is the Lord's justice. And he is the one who gets to decide what that looks like. And just as it was in the ancient world, it's worth reflecting today on how the justice of Jesus maybe pushes hard against our understandings of justice. All of us are imperfect, broken, limited, fallible people. And so I would say that all of us, all of us when we picture justice probably are painting our own picture, not painting perfectly what the Lord has in mind. And so it is worth asking, as with all things, how much am I trying to tell the Lord this is how it is, and how much am I listening to the Lord saying, I am God, and this is the way? Do our pictures of justice truly reflect the grace and the power of the Lord? And all of us, I think, skew justice one way or another based on our own experience or or our own perception or, or the voices we listen to. But, but Isaiah 42 tells us the Lord's justice is gentle, but it is also the Lord's. And the way we find out how the Lord works is by paying attention to his word. And by paying attention to how his spirit opens up what his will is. And, you know, the Lord's plans are often different than ours. There is a picture in the Marvel comedic universe as as these superheroes, a whole group of superheroes, fights back against Thanos. And there is is a moment, and again, I won't tell you the whole story. I just want to give you a snapshot. But there is a moment when one of these superheroes, when Iron Man manages to steal the source of Thanos' power. And he snaps his finger. And he undoes Thanos' work. The trillions of beings who were wiped out are now brought back. Things are made one step more right. But in exercising that power, Iron Man is destroyed because he's not strong enough. He can't take that infinite power, and so he dies. And then, because the studios need to make more money, there are more and more and more and more and more Marvel movies after this. It's never the end of the story. But in Jesus, we have one who comes and... Well, not in the way that we might expect. We would have expected and the people of Jesus' time, expected Jesus to come and lay down the law and defeat the political enemies and do everything right then and there. And instead, Jesus submitted to humiliation. Instead, Jesus humbled himself and suffered and died. And in his death, he brought us life. And his death is not the end of the story for him or for us because Jesus defeats death and he comes back. And he comes back to restore all things. It is this servant of the Lord who through his own gentleness brings us justice. This is the good news of Isaiah 42, that the Lord works to bring his justice in us and for us. The praise team is going to go ahead and come up now. The Lord gives us his body and blood. The Lord comes as as a gentle servant and he lets himself be broken. And in his brokenness, we find healing and hope. So today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you are invited, again, if you are a professing member of a Bible-believing church, you are invited to partake of this celebration to be drawn into the Lord's presence and to see this gentle servant of the Lord who comes to deliver us from all our darkness. And if you're not a professing member of a Bible-believing church, then, then you are invited at this time to reflect on what the Lord could bring to you and how Jesus suffered and died and rose again to bring life and hope to all of us. In that life and in that hope, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all that you do for us. And Father, we pray that if we have not committed to Jesus today, that you help us to see how wonderful he is. We pray that you move those of us who might not have accepted Jesus to accept him now with all our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you move those of us who have been going back and forth or not very strong in our faith to jump in with both feet to accept your good work on our behalf. And Father, we pray that you help us help us to respond to your work by doing your work. Help us to seek justice in this world in your ways, in the power of Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.